I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So in this module, we are going to go upstream to what creates the desire to drink or to do any coping mechanism where you want to numb or avoid um, or check out. And so often we get caught in the trap of trying to figure out why. And we, we're looking at things on a very surface level. I worked with so many clients who really have this strong desire to know why they have found their, themselves with alcohol use disorder. Um, and, you know, evaluating, is it their personality? Do they have addictive personality? Are they the scary big alcoholic word? And they want to go for family history and genetics and all of the things. And what I'd like to share with you in this module is that it really doesn't matter why. As I've shared before with coaching, what we are focusing on is where you are and where you want to go. And the why question leads you into a cul-de-sac where the, like, even if you did find out why, you know, there's some sort of test that is like, okay, here's exactly why. What are you going to do with that information? Um, so this, this belief that you need to know why is a low level curiosity that actually just keeps you stuck. What's more important to understand is that the urge to drink cope, avoid, buffer, numb, all of the things, is a product of your nervous system. And that's what we're going to talk about in this module. And I'm going to show you how to reframe what's happening so that when you get the urge to have a drink, that's just a thought in your head. If you didn't know alcohol existed, what you would be experiencing is a, a nervous system reaction. You've you've gone into a triggered mode. You're in a stress response. You're in survival mode, fight or flight. And the the more you think, I need a drink, I need a drink, I need a drink, then the more that in, informs your body that there is something that you need. And so that graspiness just escalates. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever had a, a small dog or any dog really, and they see water, like I've, I've had a small dog where I'm carrying them and they see water and they start doing the dog paddle. And it's just this reflexive instinctual response to survival. That's what their body needs to do in order to stay safe in that situation. And that is what um, unconscious coping mechanisms are a reflection of. It's just your body having a stress response and doing what is automated, which for you is, is likely, as, and as was for me as well, is to feel that anxiety and to argue with myself and, and have all these thoughts in my head until the point where I finally was like, I can't take this stress anymore. And the only thing I know to do is calm down. 
And that isn't the only thing to do. And in fact, that action is self-defeating. We'll get a little more into that. But what's important to understand is that once you have the tools, once you understand kind of the big picture outside view of what's happening inside your body, you're going to have the power of making a conscious choice. You'll be able to introduce free will and and because the problem is not that you want a drink, which is why having a drink doesn't solve the problem. The problem is that you are feeling something that you don't want to feel. And I know when I first quit drinking, I was so bored with everybody saying, well, you don't feel your emotions because I did feel my emotions. I felt anger and shame and anxiety, and I didn't understand what that meant to feel the emotions because that's I was feeling so much that I wanted to avoid them. And so instead of thinking of it as feeling your emotions, what this module is going to do is explain how you process them because emotions are messengers. Emotions are the sixth sense of your body. You know, you taste and you touch and you hear and you smell, um, and that gives your body information. Well, your feelings are also information. And so it's really important to understand that the nervous system is your body's operating system. And emotions come from thoughts. They are literally the biochemical um, equivalent of your thoughts. So if you have a thought, it generates a chemical response inside of your body. And so when, let's say embarrassment, when you feel um, embarrassment rush into you, you know, you might get flushed cheeks or a hot sensation, or for me, I kind of get this draining sensation of you know, and I think that then leads more to shame. But in the embarrassment example, you have this, this physiological reaction to a thought that something has happened that you're exposed or vulnerable or shameful or whatever. And so thoughts create and produce our emotions. And understanding that, first of all, you can tolerate that initial wave, which, um, in fact, 90 seconds is what it takes for the body to process out the biochemicals of an emotional reaction. It's only 90 seconds. And so if you think, like, I personally, I can hold my breath for 90 seconds. That is the extent of the pain, if you will, which honestly, most of our emotions aren't technically all that painful, although deep grief uh, extreme fear, those sorts of things can be. But for the most part, our everyday emotions are not actually that painful. We've just kind of been trained to care more about appearances and what other people think than what we feel. And since our emotions might derail, you know, the, the appearances that we're trying to put on, you know, we don't want to lose our shit and be emotional or start crying in a public place. So we have learned to suppress those emotions where one of the first things that's important to do in this process is to recognize that you have 90 seconds to the, you can just breathe. And in that 90 seconds, that emotional sensation will go away. Now, good news and bad news, you can keep the emotion going by using your thoughts and using your cognitive uh, 
thought processes to continue to trigger that same emotional reaction over and over. And you think about it, you think about something that's happened, um, you know, an altercation with another driver, and you get this emotional response. Well, if you never think about that again, it doesn't ever bother you again. But if you're talking to somebody in the car with you and you start telling a story about what happened and what you did and didn't do and what they did, and you're imposing all this meaning onto what wasn't a split second situation, then you're creating and exacerbating and actually exponentially increasing the emotional distress you feel about that. But you're doing so with your thoughts. So there's a difference between your initial reaction to something and how you choose to respond. And you can choose how you respond. But the space between the reaction and your response is your free will. And so learning to recognize that space and then to explore what the options are and to explore the tools that you can use to interrupt those automatic thought processes and automatic responses gives you choice. And it allows you to create something different with your life. So that instead of just being a trajectory of your past, this is what I always do, this is what I always think, this is how I always react, this is just my personality. Instead of just repeating those cycles, you can choose. You can, you can envision something else that you want to be and move towards that. So the nervous system, again, is our operating system, and it controls what we think and how we react, and also our digestion and our heart rate and our breathing. And as you already know, your physiological processes are impacted by what you're thinking. Stress increases your heart rate. It increases your blood pressure. It stops your digestion. It interferes with all sorts of day-to-day um, processes because your body is preparing to go into fight-or-flight mode. And it's a two-way street. The more your body feels upset and agitated and stressed and um, preparing for fight-or-flight, the more your mind creates stories. The nervous system essentially has three states of being. You're either in safe mode, which is at the top of the ladder, um, and in safe mode, you're feeling calm, connected, clear, engaged, you're good. You're able to engage with yourself and others without a lot of emotional distress. Then in the middle of the ladder, you'll see there's survival mode. That's our fight or flight. And that is when we are triggered and we're experiencing usually some, some version of anxiety and anger and we're busy. We want to act. We want to do stuff. We want to right a wrong or fix a problem, whatever. We move into a defensive and protective mode. Also, we get real focused. We can only think about the problem. So we start ruminating and worrying because we are triggered. And when we're triggered in survival mode, our brains are wired to keep us alive. So the emotional distress leads us into that worst case scenario. 
You know, if you're fighting for your life, your brain isn't writing a gratitude list at the same time. It's only looking for worst case scenarios. So everything that you're looking at is very negative. The glass is for sure half empty and you need to get it filled immediately versus a more calm, rational look at, well, I only really need half a glass of water or whatever it is. But the point that I'm trying to make is your need to get more water in your cup, so to speak, is a reflection of your nervous system, not your actual beliefs, not your true values. It's just a triggered response. You are the puppy paddling because you see water. Okay. The third state is our collapse state. And we're all, we're all familiar with those moments where we've gone beyond our breaking point. We don't care anymore. We feel depressed instead of anxiety. We want to pull the covers over our head and we're just fuzzy. We can't make decisions. We don't feel clear. We're not even in fight or flight anymore. We've just completely dissociated. We're going through the motions, letting life happen. We've shut down. And what this, this tool is going to show you is that when you become aware of the state of your nervous system, you can respond differently. So if you look at the ladder on the left side, it shows that triggers push you farther down the ladder. So you're moving into survival mode. You spend too long there. You move into collapse mode. And our thoughts become very competitive. You know, you against me, tit for tat. We move into criticizing not just other people, but ourselves. And when we're not aware that this is a biological process and not our personality or even true stories that are going on, but a reflection of our nervous system, then we our thoughts just run wild, like the horse has left the barn. And we end up pushing ourselves deeper and deeper into stress because we're not aware that we that we are now pushing ourselves there. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. As opposed to the right side of the ladder, you'll see that what we're going to learn to do is look for glimmers. When we're having a stress response and we notice that we're doing the tit for tat, we're criticizing ourselves and others, we can flip cognitively at least a little bit to more curiosity. What triggered me? What do I really need? Having compassion for ourselves. There's nothing wrong. I'm just having a biological response. It's the same thing as having to poop or being hungry or thirsty. It's just a biological response. So we can have compassion for our bodies. What do our bodies need to reconnect and not just to other people, but to ourselves so that we can feel grounded and calm and safe. When we are children, we are taught how to manage our behaviors. We are taught there are only certain emotions that are acceptable at certain times and that we need to control our behaviors regardless of our emotions. So we need to tamp down our anger, not cry in public, be nice even when someone's being condescending, to question our own feelings um, and value what other people think of us more than what we value ourselves, value how we look, um, doing all the things correctly as opposed to the actual experience of what we're going through. And so I think it's really understandable how we become adults that don't have coping mechanisms 
because we're not trained that we're important. And we do have feelings and we do have thoughts and we do have needs and we do have wants that don't comply with whatever society's expectations are, whatever our cultural demands are, including the internalized demands that we place on ourselves. And so we grow up to be adults that are completely separated from our physical bodies. We are guided by our thoughts, which is just conditioning. You know, our thoughts are based on how we are trained to behave and what we are told makes us good and bad and right and wrong. We are, we're just conditioned. And so when we are operating by beliefs and ideas instead of information and experience, there's a disconnect. We have come to greatly ignore ourselves and not only ignore, but neglect and uh, abuse our bodies when they don't comply. You know, we shame ourselves. We, we have these emotional needs that we're not paying attention to. And so we're eating and we're drinking and our body's doing the very best it can to keep up. I mean, really this, this thought that our body is betraying us or I hate my body, our bodies are killing it crushing it. You know, with all the poison we put in our bodies and in our brains, our bodies, the fact that we're still functioning even enough to have this virtual conversation is absolutely amazing. And so the key to healing is a real shift in acknowledging that the thoughts and beliefs in your brain are something that you have been conditioned to believe and that you've internalized um, valuing other people and other people's opinions and appearances more than you have yourself. And so it's no wonder that you feel lonely and you feel like nobody gives a shit and you feel like you can't get what you want because A, you may not know what you want and B, you're the one that's ignoring and devaluing yourself. And that's the radical responsibility where when you look at your nervous system and take responsibility for what your body is going through and almost look at your body like you would from the point of view of a parent where I'm going to take care of my body and I'm going to honor what it means, needs, you know, it's like you can't argue with a two-year-old who needs a nap. And that's kind of the equivalent that we do to ourselves. We get ourselves in these stressed states that we don't even acknowledge that we're in because we've been trained to say, I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. It's so all good over here. So good. We won't even admit it to ourselves. And because we won't admit it, our brain looks for a way to create a story about the stress state that we're in. And so we project our distress onto the circumstances or other people. It's somebody else's fault that we feel this way. We're overworked. When Who's overworking us? It's the choices that we're making. We're overtired. Well, who's creating that fatigue? It's us because we won't go to bed at night because we keep staying up too late drinking. And then we wake up in a state of anxiety from the alcohol hangover and maybe worse than anxiety. And then we go through the day pretending to be fine and lying about the state of our nervous system and just completely neglecting our bodies. And then wonder why when it gets to the evening, we don't have the willpower to not have a drink and put ourselves out of our misery when actually what we're doing is just perpetuating the misery. So there's just a couple of things that you need to know to begin to use this tool to um, flip your perspective of 
healing and what you need. First of all, it's to understand that the story in your brain is a reflection of the state of your nervous system. Think about that place that you get to where you can't handle one more thing. Like everything, it's like your life is on fire, your brain is on fire, you are so overwhelmed, and then you stub your toe. And it's like the pain is is worse than natural childbirth, and the tears come, and you break down, and and you just freak out. And yet, that same pain, when experienced from a different state of the nervous system, best day ever, on my way to cash in my winning lottery ticket before I go get married, and you know, whatever, you stub your toe, and that pain affects you differently. The story you tell yourself is different. I stubbed my toe, it's not that big of a deal, versus I stubbed my toe, and that means that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back and I can't do anything else. And so because that pain occurs in the state of a stressed nervous system, you end up making another bad decision, such as drinking or overeating or screaming at your partner or shopping or whatever, because ultimately it's not the pain in your toe that's the problem. It's the state of your nervous system. That pain just pushed you into an unbearable stress state. And now you have to do anything or whatever it is to try to release some of that stress. Here's the truth. If you are not managing your emotions, they are managing you. When you make decisions from a state of stress, you perpetuate your stress. Your, the, the puppy dog paddle is that you are trying to reach for people to make you feel better. They need to say the words or do the things so that you can tell yourself a story that calms down your nervous system. Or you need to consume Netflix or alcohol or bad food, sugar, things like that, or shop or whatever, so that you can regulate your nervous system. When you learn that you can bypass the middleman, the people, the substances, or whatever, and soothe yourself from the inside, that is a superpower. Because you are no longer reliant on other people or substances and then all of the negative consequences that go with that to get yourself into a state of clear and calm that ultimately allows you to make good decisions and to look at where you want to go. When you take responsibility for the way you feel and correct for it, take care of yourself, you can do anything. And the first step, the biggest step, is really just awareness. Being able to notice and name where you're at and and look inward that the problem is coming from the inside. There's a smoke alarm going off, if you will. And instead of disabling the alarm with substances or people, you go to the source of the smoke and solve the problem, resolve the issue. That is when you can begin to to regulate your nervous system. And so looking at this ladder where we can see that triggers take you deeper into survival mode and then past the breaking point into collapse, and glimmers, other things that happen, move you back into safety. And so what if when you feel or experience a trigger, you don't you, you pull away from the story of what's happening 
And obviously, if you truly are in survival mode and somebody's chasing you, you don't have time to stop and think, and this doesn't apply. But for all of our relationship problems and our thought-based problems that are imagined in our own head anyway, when you step out of the story and move down into your body, you can look at um, the, the, the questions you want to ask yourself is what moves me towards safety? What are the glimmers um, that make me feel better, make me feel more grounded? And we're going to go over some of those in a minute. And then curiosity, how did I get here? What are the triggers? What has happened? Where did the problem start? How can I disable my stress response? What do I need to do to feel safe so that I can get clear? And again, the most important tool you have is awareness, noticing that you are triggered, stepping back from that, and asking yourself where you are on the map. How intense do you feel? Are you in survival mode? Or did you bypass survival mode and go right into collapse? Noticing where you are is the first step to getting where you want to be. And the last thing I'll say in relationship to this slide is that our nervous systems co-regulate with other people. So we've, we've all been around people that make us tense or that set us on alert. And likewise, we've been around people where they're talking a little slower or they're just super calm. They've got good energy. Our nervous systems co-regulate with other people. So being aware of your environment and noticing what is going on for you when you're around other people is also really critical. Noticing um, if there's something you can do to feel better, sometimes it does involve another person calling a friend or um, just spending time with someone or an animal. Honestly, my best tools are often uh, my dog. Um, and then also noticing when we're around other people that are triggering us. And it may not be personal and we may not be taking it personal, but just being around someone else's energy that is kind of on high alert or maybe they're conspiracy theorists or just drama queens. And the more we're around them, the more our nervous system mirrors their state really important to notice. So to wrap it up, I just want to go over a couple of ideas of how to get the nervous system back into safety so that you can think clearly, so that you feel calm and safe and okay. And before I give you those, I just want to go back to this slide that shows there's a four to one ratio between the communications coming up from the body versus going down to the brain. You really can't think yourself sane most of the time. It truly behooves you to start and notice the body and deal with that. Not to say that some thoughts can't help, and I will go into what those are, but for the most part, there it is four times more powerful to start inside your body and restore calm and clarity there and then go into your story. Emotions are energy. So that is why the one of the easiest way to get rid of their charge, get rid of their power inside of our body is to move the energy out of our body. One of the best ways, the immediate ways that we can all do is breath work, um, just deep breathing, box breathing. And I have lots of modules and there's a lot of different ways to practice breath work, but just slowing down your breath. When you're stressed, your breath is shallow and rapid. So changing your breath to that of a calm person will then 
deliver that calm, those calm feelings inside of your body. Also, as hard as we all try not to cry, crying is the nervous system's way to reset itself. It's one of the pressure valves. So when you allow yourself to cry, not only does it release energy, but it also releases a lot of endorphins in your head or in your brain so that you you feel relieved, you feel it just resets. And we've all had, that's why it's called have a good cry about it. Um, so it's very important. And sometimes it's not crying. Sometimes you're, you've got the urge to scream. And I'll tell you the best place I've discovered to scream is underwater. I get my suit on and jump into the lake and just let it all out till I'm exhausted. And I get out of the water feeling so refreshed for a variety of reasons. But screaming, moaning, crying, these are all ways that we can release the energy out of our bodies. And I'm not going to do a deep dive into all of these ideas. I'm really just more presenting them to cue you that there are so many things that you can do when you are experiencing emotional distress. Solving for the emotions before you move into thought is the way to change your response and to move with intelligence by respecting your body enough to get it calmed down. So, you know, putting on good music getting outside into the light or inside into the dark. That's another thing. There's never any right answer. You will find things that work better and worse for you in different situations, but you always have to be open that if something doesn't work, the answer is not, well, fuck it. I'll just go eat or drink anyway. Like just keep trying things and you'll develop a relationship with your body so that you will begin to have urges just like you have the urge to drink, you will begin to have urges to self-soothe. I need to go for a walk right now. I need to, you know, do my hula hoop or play the hacky sack. The flow state activities can be so powerful um, because they take us out of our brain because it requires all of our attention in our body and it just allows us to move. Um, one of the things that I often need at this stage in my life is silence. I just need to not hear talking. I just need to not have the television on with commercials. I just need to not have a podcast squeaking in my ear. I just need silence. I don't need a lot of it, but um, I find that when I do get my circuits blown, you know, that circuit breaker, and I've just had a stress reaction, silence for me really works. So examine this list and see what sticks out for you. And, you know, think about trying a few of them. And then there are things that you can do that is more brain-based, thought-based. Just like slowing down your breath, slowing down your speech, um, if you can't escape the situation, is a really good way to signal to your nervous system that, you're, that things are okay, that your pants are not actually on fire. And we've all experienced the need and the ability to talk ourselves off the ledge. You know, it's not that you address the story in your brain, but just move yourself into the present moment. Put your hand on your heart. You're going to be okay. Nothing has gone wrong. This is normal. This is a human experience. This is temporary. 
you're okay. You got this. You can handle this. You're tough. This is tough. You're tougher. Those sorts of things. Another thing that you can do just a little bit in your brain is ask yourself, what do I need right now? And that may lead you into some of the somatic things of walking or swimming or screaming or whatever it is. And then the other thing that's really important to do is to detach yourself from the experience and not making it your identity. So instead of saying, you know, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm freaking out, to say I'm experiencing the emotions of anxiety, I'm experiencing overwhelm, and I need to take care of myself. So just verbally, because so often we say I'm screwed, I'm a hot mess, and we identify um, with the way our body is feeling. But we are not the way our bodies feeling. And the more we identify, the less we're able to choose a different reaction. And then finally, the work, the work is to move into a cognitive reframe. But you can only do this after you've returned to a state of calm and connection. You can't solve a problem from a state of consciousness that created the problem. You know, I say often with my clients, we often think that that the problems outside of us are creating our anxiety, for example. But in truth, the way we feel in our body, the anxiety itself, is creating the perception that there's a problem. Again, that glass is 50% capacity. Whether we see it as half full or half empty is a reflection of our nervous system. So that's when we ask ourselves, you know, what beliefs are creating the conflict? Why do I think I should do this when my body's telling me I can't do this? Is there boundaries that are being um, violated? Am I not sticking to my beliefs? Do I believe something shouldn't be a certain way, but I'm forcing myself to participate or allow it or accept it or say something that's not true? Understanding how our thoughts and beliefs create our emotions is critical. And that is the work that I do in the 12-week program and in my membership site where you can learn and practice, you know, what is it that I'm thinking? What is it that I'm feeling? What then do I want to think and what do I want to believe? But you can't make the turn, if you will, without first getting your body into a place of safety and calm. And so when you look at everything you're going through and begin to notice and name the state of your nervous system and then reflect on what behaviors you're, you're doing as a result of an, a non-conscious choice, it's happening below the surface, and to stop blaming yourself and truly just understand that when we are in a state of survival mode, we are wired to be negative, to go to worst case scenario, and to think about problems that then ultimately pour fuel on the fire. And when you shift out of valuing what other people think and the way things look, and instead value your peace of mind and your state of calm and operate from that, you know, I use the analogy of like getting your skis out in front of you. It's like when you're in survival mode, you're always kind of being dragged. When you shift your focus into a, a place of, of love and 
bodily autonomy that you're responsible. You're both the problem and the solution and that you are, you're going to take care of this body. Then that allows you to get up and, and be grounded and to be centered and to act with purpose and intention. You, can, you just can't be, have purpose and intention when you're in reaction mode. And when you're stuck in survival mode, you are just reacting. If you're not managing your emotions, they are managing you. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.